Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you want to learn what it's like to be a recruiter in the financial services and insurance industry, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest has worked in this field for the last four years, including several years spent as a career consultant and coach on two university campuses. But before I introduce you to Jordan Hallow, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that features career advice, insights, and inspiration that you won't find anywhere else. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Jordan Hallow, a 2015 grad of Ball State University in Indiana, and today the Director of Selection and Recruitment at Northwestern Mutual in Crown Point, Indiana. Prior to joining Northwestern Mutual, Jordan was a career consultant at Purdue University Northwest. Earlier in his career, Jordan was a career coach and advisor at Western Michigan University. Jordan, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? That shouldn't even be a question. But it is. (laughs) Absolutely, I am. I know. We were chatting before we started here, (laughs) and you were sharing with me that you're on your third cup. And it's what time in Indiana? It's nine o'clock. Holy cow. What time do you have your first cup? So it used to be like right when I woke up, then I was doing some research. Like some people were saying that if you have it within the first hour, you know, when you wake up, it's not really good for you. So I started to wait a little bit. So sometimes it's 5.30 or 6. Sometimes it's 7 o'clock. It ultimately just depends. But usually by about 7.30, I'm at least one or two cups in. Yeah. As I was saying to you, in my experience, as a very experienced coffee drinker, I find after the second cup, it's diminishing returns. Like I find I get more and more tired, the more caffeine I ingest. That's why you just drink more so that you just prolong feeling diminished. (laughs) I don't know about that. But listen, I'm just thrilled that I have a fellow caffeine junkie here with me. So Jordan, your title is Director of Selection and Recruitment at Northwestern Mutual in Crown Point. Mm -hmm. I looked it up before we started this interview. 
Northwestern Mutual is the marketing name for the Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company and its subsidiaries. Is that right? Yeah, we mostly life insurance and we also do investments as well. We just started doing that in the late 2000s. So it's pretty new to the practice. Got it. What does that title mean? And what do you do in this role? It means so much. It means I wear a lot of hats. Basically, I am part of a district of Northwestern Mutual. We then report to a larger office. So for us, it's Indianapolis. It's in our bigger cities in in the country. And then that office then reports to our corporate office based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For me, there are nine different districts in our state. And there are multiple offices that comprise those districts. So for me, what I do is I handle and oversee all the recruiting processes for candidates moving through the financial advising pipeline. I also source. So I find those candidates that may not be actively looking. Maybe they are. But through different job sites, of course, LinkedIn is a huge asset to what I do on on the daily basis. Pretty much meeting with candidates, having that initial conversation with them, and then really just kind of moving them through the process. And then they meet with my managing director, who's kind of the hiring manager. And then we kind of just keep navigating and going through. And then also a little bit of onboarding as well. So how do we get them started? What's the right tools and how can we best coach them? How can we best support them? So that on a you know on bare bones is really what I do pretty much every single day. All of the selection, finding the right candidates and then navigating them through the, the recruitment process. So what is a financial advising role at Northwestern Mutual? What does that type of position do? Great question. It is basically... A financial advisor meets with somebody to really highlight and identify some personal goals that they have financially, then puts together a plan for them that basically says, Hey, you know what? You told me all these things were really important to you. Here's a plan on how we can get that accomplished. And it's so rewarding because everybody is going to come in with different financial goals. Everybody's going to come in at different stages in their life, whether they're married or not, or have kids. Maybe they're looking at retirement. So maybe they're part of the younger generation or older generation. Everybody has different goals financially. And they also have different financial needs. But at the end of the day, the world that we live in, whether we like it or not, revolves around money. You know, we've got to have money to have a roof over our heads, provide for our kids. Yeah. And so it's really an awesome opportunity because you just get to learn so much about people. Also, it takes a certain amount of trust and relatability so that people can open up to you and talk to you about their finances because we don't go around telling people how much money we make. We don't go around telling people how much we have in our checkings or savings accounts. It takes a special kind of relationship to make that happen. And that's what a financial advisor does. Financial advisor breaks down those walls and those barriers by being relatable and approachable and then saying, Hey, you know what? I meet with a lot of people that are just like you that are trying to put together a financial plan. Let me show you what I've done for others. And let me show you what I can do for you. That sounds like a fairly senior type of position. Is this for a new grad? How many years experience does the typical financial advisor have? Ooh, that's such a good question. I would say... It's going to vary. It's not really a senior level position. I will say that every financial advisor, especially here at Northwestern Mutual, we view it as owning our own business. Every financial advisor has their own clients. They belong to them. They don't belong to anybody else. Very much viewing it as a business owner, just using different products that come through Northwestern Mutual. You know, when you think of like Olive Garden or those different franchise restaurants, they all have somebody that runs that building, but they're still under that Olive Garden or wherever. Very similar here. 
Not really much in terms of like a senior role or anything like that. We've hired people that have come straight out of college. We've hired people that have had 10, 20 years of experience in different careers. And another reason why I love financial advising is because we specialize in hiring career changers. So having previous experience in being a financial advisor is not really necessary. We don't actually look for that. We look for different qualities that we think would make somebody a good financial advisor. So career changers are something that we specialize in. And I've hired former pastors. I've hired project engineers. I hired somebody who was in hospitality. Hired somebody who was an athletic director for a middle school. I've hired a teacher. I've hired uh, somebody who was working for her husband's company as a PRN. All walks of life, really. So, And that's such a cool part of the career. What I love about that, Jordan, is that I think that is yet another quintessential example of how your major doesn't matter and how the skills that you've acquired Uh inside the classroom, outside the classroom are transferable into all different kinds of roles and all different kinds of industries. Without a doubt. You and I have had so many conversations about this. Like I was a history major. I wanted to be a history teacher. I'm about as far removed from that as I possibly can be. You know, I, I see a lot of people out here who are very similar to me, don't have that, you know, that straight line path in their career. It's very much filled with the curly cues or whatever it is, and it's not very linear. I love that. In fact, did you know anything about insurance or financial advising before you started in this role in July 2021? Not a thing. I had somebody come to my house after I got married, sat down and talked to my wife and I about life insurance because my parents always said, you need life insurance for your family to help you along in life. So I did and sat down and talked to us. And Andrea, I don't remember... I can't even remember anything from that conversation other than I got life insurance. I I didn't understand anything whatsoever. I ended up getting a financial advisor here who did explain all that stuff to me. But... Prior to starting here, no knowledge about that stuff whatsoever. And clearly, it didn't matter. How did you get up to speed then mm-hmm. on what you needed to do to do your job well? I met with a lot of people. I started, I knew I wanted to be in the recruiting space pretty much right when the pandemic hit. I started, literally, I started posting every single day on LinkedIn. I kept that up for about a year and a half. I met some incredible people while was doing that along the way. People who were, quite frankly, were doing what I wanted to do. And I met with them. I learned about what recruiting looks like, kind of how to put myself out there, how to put my brand out there. And then here, actually, one of my good friends is a financial advisor here. So I was a referral in. He said, Hey, you know what? If you've got interest, you know, I'm not really sure where your career path is right now, but I'd love to have you talk with our managing director and kind of see where it goes. And I said, yeah, of course. Like I'm, I'm never going to turn down that opportunity or that conversation. You never know what's out there. And lo and behold, I, I fell in love with the culture, the people that are here. So I've just been really gravitating towards it ever since. So you pretty much learned it on the job. I learned it on the job. Yep. So I know you said every day is kind of the same, but would you take us into a typical day for you, Jordan? We're very fortunate in that um, our company is AAA rated. The only other company out there right now that has that same rating is Microsoft. We have, we're a very selective company because we have a really good track record and we're doing a lot of great things as a company. We've had three consecutive record-breaking years for a company that's 165 years old. Because of that, 
a lot of people know Northwestern Mutual and they know the name, they're interested in learning more about it. And because we get career changers and people that don't have the background that one might think in going to a role like this, you get to meet with a lot of people. So I do a lot of discovery calls and say, hey, you know what, here's a little bit about the career, but I want to learn more about you. I want to learn more about what in a career would make you happy. I wonder what about financial advising makes you happy. Really just having those introductory discovery calls, doing some, some networking with people that I know to say, hey, you know what, these are the kind of candidates that I'm looking for. Who are some people that you know that might be interested in learning more about this opportunity? So I do a couple of those a week as well. And then as they continue on in the process and we go more in depth, I do all of that too. For our internship, I handle all of the initial sourcing and the interviews for that as well. So that's pretty much a day in the life. Lots of talking with people. I get to learn about everybody comes from all walks of life. I love that. I can never get tired of talking to people. You know, we usually try to have about four or five interviews a day. We are really trying to grow and expand. So we have the opportunity to have a lot of people that we get to interview. And I do a lot of that. And then reaching out to people, doing some meetings here and there. And I'm also part of the leadership team here at our office. So trying to figure out where our office wants to go, where our district wants to go within the next 3 to 5 years, all the things that are involved there too. So lots of meetings. And a lot of people might be like, Oh my gosh, that sounds awful. But it's actually pretty fun. I never get tired of talking to people. So most of those meetings, Jordan, are they on the phone? Are you actually going to meet people in person? Are you doing on campus recruiting at job fairs and things like that? Yeah, it's going to be a mix of the bunch. I would say, especially in the university life, there's certainly those hot months or those hot times of the year where the students are going to be like, I'm looking for a new job or I'm looking for an internship or during those career fairs. So we're definitely going to be on campus. I always invite people into my office. I'm never going to shy away from having that conversation with them face to face. That's what I'd prefer. But also sometimes I just go out and buy them coffee or buy them lunch and say, Hey, you know what? Instead of just coming into the office and doing a really formal interview, let's, let's just go out to lunch. Let's just get to know each other and kind of see if what we have here lines up with what they want and kind of see if we can explore the next steps in the process. You mentioned earlier that you are on LinkedIn, presumably using LinkedIn Recruiter to find candidates. Can you take us behind that wall and let our young listeners know what kinds of keywords, what you're using to identify strong candidates? Yes, I love this question. So from the behind the curtains, the first thing that I'm going to do is in LinkedIn Recruiter, I can have different pipelines that I create. And I can create those based off of just like you mentioned, those different keywords. So I'm going to pull keywords from my job description. I'm going to pull keywords from people that I know that in the past have produced some really good candidates. So for example, it could be sales, it could be account executives, it could be finance, it could be relationship building, it could be marketing, it could be finance, any of those commonality keywords that you might associate with financial advising. I'm going to be pulling those and I'll do Boolean searches so I can combine finance and marketing and get some uh, results from that as well. Instead of just looking at one keyword, I can search a bunch at one time. And then I'm going to look at geographic location too, to see how close you are to the office, things like that. I can also pull where you graduated and see if we've got some commonalities there. That is definitely some stuff that I will search. And then it will also tell me if people are open to opportunities, if they're more likely to respond back to my outreach. 
lots of different filters that, that I can go through to try to find that ideal candidate. You mentioned Boolean. What is that? So a Boolean search is basically where I can combine a whole lot of different keywords that I'm looking for. And I'll differentiate between buzzwords and keywords because keywords relate to my job description. Buzzwords are more like career oriented or detailed or attention to detail. I'm not looking for that kind of stuff. I'm looking more for like the soft skills and the hard skills. The Boolean search allows me to search multiple different things at one time. For example, uh, I can search sales and marketing and account executive. And I can pull profiles based that have those three keywords in them versus just searching for one keyword at a time. Great. Thank you. What is a typical recruiting cycle for a financial advising Mm -hmm. candidate? And what can you kind of lay out how long that usually takes? Yeah, I would say for from my initial interview with them or my initial conversation with them, it could take up to three to four weeks to get through the process. So we will meet with me. I'll kind of get to know more about you and see if that mutual benefit is there. Then if everything sounds good and you're interested, then we move on to the next steps in the process where they meet with myself and or the hiring manager to kind of go over a day-to-day activity, learn more about the company as well, and give us a little more opportunity to kind of dig more into learning more about them. And then after that, we will have some conversation around compensation and what that looks like in the career, which if a spouse is... We typically include spouses if they want to be part of that so they can understand everything there. Then if all sounds good from there, then we extend an offer. And whenever they accept, we usually give them a couple of days or up to a week to accept that offer. And then after that, we start with training. So because we bring in people who do not have a background in finance... And I love that. We train you on everything that you need to know. So that involves getting licensed. And that's a huge priority. And then also getting meetings on your calendar and kind of bringing you up to speed, a slow runway to get you up and going full time. So we've got different training. We've got training that happens at our network office down in Indianapolis. You get to meet from some of the greatest minds in the industry. It sounds like a lot, but it happens pretty quickly. How long is the training? The, The training itself could be anywhere between six to eight weeks. Okay, so that's pretty significant, but the recruiting process actually is pretty quick. It's pretty quick, yeah. And and ultimately, it depends. Some can even move through quicker than that. All just depends on on how ready they are. You know, maybe their background might play some role into it. For example, if I just talked to somebody who was working at a bank as an investment banker, they're already licensed in three of the four licenses that we need. So for that person, they're going to go through it much quicker than the other person who's not going to be licensed starting off. That it could totally depend. And I think that's the best thing about it is we can kind of see, hey, you know what, you might be farther along than we might have a typical candidate be. So we can kind of move you through the process and get you started quicker. Is there an incentive for you, Jordan, in terms of if you managed to bring in a certain number of candidates, you would get a bonus. Is there anything in your... Okay. Yep. So I have some. And then my financial advisors who are here, they also get a bonus as well. They bring people on board. That's kind of nice. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the best part of this job? And what is a part of the job that sucks? And you and I were chatting before I started recording. And I said, gosh, Jordan, you look tired. And you said, 
I am tired. I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> Get into that. So what's the best part and what's the part that sucks? Yeah. The best part is if I could have one job for the rest of my life, it would just be to interview people. I just love getting to know people and really the relationship. Like I can bring somebody in that I've never had a conversation with before. And by the time I'm through, you know, having the conversation with them, I feel like I know them very well. I just had somebody who I've met with one time and then I've seen them a couple of times afterwards and they accepted an offer yesterday. And like, I feel like I already know the guy. Like, I feel like I know him so well. Like, as soon as he came in and said he got an offer, I was like clapping. I was ecstatic. I'm like, I'm so pumped for this guy. I gave one girl a hug, like, after she accepted her offer. I hadn't known her before. That's the best part about it. At the same time, that sometimes can be a detriment to where you, quite frankly, you fall in love with these candidates and you're like, they're great. They're awesome. And then as we progress through the the process, we kind of find out that they're not the right fit. And it can be kind of gut-wrenching at times where you like... I think part of the reason why recruiters are in the work that they do is because we love people and we're champions for people. We want to see them be at their best. And if we can help or support and making that happen, we're all about it. I become the champion for these people as they go through the process. As a part of that, I get to know them pretty well. And I'm like, it's gut-wrenching when they are like, it doesn't pan out. They don't get an offer or they just decide to go somewhere else. Especially if it's a referral that you brought in and you're like, I'm really excited for you to meet so-and-so and then it just doesn't work out. That could be a huge bummer to say the least. It can definitely weigh on you a little bit. The other thing, and, and this is what Andrea and I were talking about before, is I'm a, I'm a party of one. I'm kind of running. I've got control of all the reins. There's no back-end support that I have right now. So all the administrative stuff I do, internship, college students, full-time career changers and all that, I do everything. I manage the pipelines for three different offices. It can be pretty exhausting. Sometimes I'm going home at night with some work that I need to do, or I'm coming in early in the morning to kind of crank some stuff out before anybody gets here. That can be that can be a detriment to it as well. Yeah. It's hard to kind of keep that energy level up when you're burning the candle like that. Yeah. So Jordan, you have been on the other side of this process as I laid out in the introduction, and we're going to get into that in just a minute. Because prior to joining Northwestern Mutual, you were a career consultant and a career coach for college students. I was, yes. Now that you're a director of recruitment in industry, are there any patterns that you've observed among the best candidates, the ones who make it through and those who don't make the cut? What do the most successful ones do to stand out? There's a number of things. One, and it might sound strange, but they actually answer the question that I'm, I'm looking for. They answer it the way that I envision them answering it. And they can get to the point pretty quickly. They... I'm able to pick up on their answer. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this sounds exactly like what I'm looking for. So for example, tell me about yourself. That's one of the most standard interview questions that's out there. I would say most college students or even career changers and people who have been in the career for some time, they botch that. I've got some that will answer it exactly how I want them to answer it. They've done their practice. You can tell. So that's Could you give us thing. an example or tease that out a little bit more? For sure. One of the things I'll say is, hey, tell me a little bit more about yourself. And somebody might say, well, my name is so-and-so. I was born here. I like doing this in my spare time. I worked here. I'm doing this now. And they pretty much just kind of either go on a little bit of a tangent 
because I can tell they're nervous. That's okay. It's expected to be a little nervous. You know, this is an interview because that they start to ramble a little bit and include information that I'm not really looking so much for. Other people coming in who they're very professional, but they also they are very straight to the point in what I'm looking for. So they talk about their past experience. They talk about where they're currently at right now. And they also connect all those dots to why they applied here and why they want to be a financial advisor. Connecting everything along the way, helping me learn a little bit more about them in the professional light, connecting it to why Northwestern Mutual and why financial advising. Perfect answers. Great. That's exactly what I want to see. I can tell when people haven't done their research or they haven't done any kind of mock interviews or practice. The other one is confidence. I love seeing candidates that are confident. It's the nonverbal, so the eye contact, most important thing. Even in a virtual meeting, I would argue that that's really important. But confidence in who they are, confidence that they have the skills and the abilities to come on board. They know and they have exactly what I'm looking for. And they're telling me that and they're showing me that. So they have great examples of how in my job description, I might say, I'm looking for somebody who has experience with this. As you had talked about before, those transferable skills have so much value. And they can allude to and give specific examples of how those skills have transferred and how they would transfer into this role. So confidence, answering the questions without rambling on, definitely some things that I look for and those nonverbals too. Are there any other ways that people can telegraph to you their self-confidence beyond eye contact? Yeah, the way that they're dressed is definitely something. I've seen some that come in with a tie that's all the way down here or... All the um, way down where, just for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, just two or three inches down where it needs to be. It's not tied tight. They come in with a suit or you know the appropriate attire for an interview there. At some point, they're even maybe a little overdressed. I'll never turn that away. Also, their voice, the way that they're talking, the tone in their voice is very professional. It's not monotone. They've got some excitement there. But they're also firm at the same time. So I think that that helps too. I would also say a good handshake or I think eye contact is the best thing, but also somebody who's not fidgeting around, not kind of moving in their chair, stuff like that. Those little things that can be distracting at sometimes that we might do just as a little bit of a sign of nerves. I have also found, Jordan, that people exude self-confidence when they aren't afraid to joke around a little oh, bit yeah. to show a little bit of their personality because I think that it's so common, especially for younger job seekers, to feel that they have to be very serious oh, for sure. time. For sure. Yeah. You bring up an excellent point. The whole point of my interview process, I don't really even like to call it an interview. I like to call it a conversation because they come in thinking interview they're all very, as you mentioned, they're very tight, they're tight, they're nervous, they're kind of struggling to get some things out, or they're like, oh my gosh, like it's it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's an interview. And I like that they treat that as such, but I'm like, this is an opportunity for me to get to know you as well as for you to get to know me and the role that I'm looking to fill the position for. I want to get to know you personally as well. If you come on board, I could be spending a third of my lifetime with you. You know what I mean? I want to know about you personally. I want to know about what you like to do, what you're involved in as a student. What are you involved in outside the class? And I want to get to know and see that kind of personality side of you because it eases those tensions. I think it makes for a much easier conversation for both of us moving forward. Absolutely. Have there been any surprises 
that you've had that you weren't aware of when you were sitting on the other side advising students that you became aware of when you stepped into the role of a recruiter? I would say that every career that's out there has transferable skills. Every career out there, you need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to problem solve. You need to be able to do... It doesn't matter if you are president of the United States all the way down to you know any kind of role or career that you can think of. Those transferable skills are so valuable. I focused a lot when I was career coaching on hard skills as well as soft skills. And now I'm learning from my perspective now as a recruiter, how much I value more of the soft skills than the hard skills. Why? And I'm also finding that the soft skills are so much harder to teach than the hard skills. And what is it about the soft skills that have become more important? I think that I can train anybody on financial knowledge, things of that nature. I can teach you the hard skills. There's no doubt about that. But what I can't teach you is compassion, caring about others, communicating, wanting to be a part of this team. Like I, I can't teach you all that kind of stuff. I can help you grow in those areas. It's going to take a little more time. But if you don't have that passion for it, that's hard for me to teach. If you don't have... It's hard to teach character versus I can teach you how to run estimate for you know somebody for saving up for retirement between 25 and 65. We can run that and I can show you that just like that. Easy to learn. Not so much easy to learn for like communicating and, and that character and all that stuff. It's really valuable. Got it. Okay. So let's flash back to your time as a career coach and consultant working at two universities. And most recently, you were at Purdue University Northwest in Indiana. What did you do in that role? I taught... The first thing I did is I taught a career readiness course at different levels. So at Purdue Northwest, I was very fortunate enough. My mentor was my supervisor, the director of our department at the time. And he was brought into the university's College of Business to design this experience, first year to fourth year experience program where at your first year in the college, it's all about how you get acclimated to the university. What's a resume? How do I apply for jobs on campus? Or how do I apply to jobs outside of campus? Also getting to know your university resources. And in that second level, it's let's dive into the resume. Let's dive into the cover letter. Let's dive into getting to know you. The third year, it's all about interviewing for internships, for full-time roles, for part-time roles. Etiquette is definitely a part of that as well. And in that fourth year, it's all about the job search. It's all about LinkedIn. It's all about professional branding. And it's all about getting to know that particular career. So bringing in guest speakers and things like that. So I taught all levels of that. I specialized in that fourth year, that last year. And I'll be honest, that was my favorite. And I did that. I also did career coaching. So helping with resumes and cover letters, helping connect students with employers and people that I knew that were in my network. That was a huge part of it, which I don't really think a lot of students really understood would be part of it. And did that as well. And then I did a lot of different community outreach programs. So to connect students with employers, I set up career fairs for students, I set up different volunteer opportunities for students to partner with employers and professionals. A lot of that, the student-seeking side as well as the employer-facing side. I'd love to dig in a little bit 
to your favorite part (laughs) of that Mm. experience. And that is that fourth year when you were helping usually seniors Mm -hmm. get into the job search process because it really is a process. And because most schools don't require students to take a how to find a job and start a career course, many students are lost about how to get that process started. Mm -hmm. And they just end up scrolling their phones or their computers, looking at job boards, and then randomly applying for jobs. During your time at Purdue, Jordan, you actually built a course on navigating LinkedIn to help students build their personal and professional brands and gain the attention of people like you, of recruiters and hiring managers. Could you share a few of your tips? Yeah, I would. The reason why I created that course is because I had so many students that were getting ready to graduate that had less than 10 connections on LinkedIn. They didn't have a, a picture on their profile. They had nothing written or they had something about, hey, sophomore at the university, but they're a senior at this point. So they haven't touched it in quite some time. And I was thinking to myself, gosh, the LinkedIn profile will teach you so much more than a resume will. It's more of a blank canvas. You can learn so much more about somebody from their LinkedIn profile. And also, from my perspective now, as somebody oversees hiring, I'm going to everybody's LinkedIn profile that I possibly can. And I want to learn more about you from outside your application or what I haven't learned from you yet that your LinkedIn profile would teach me. I saw that students weren't really doing that. And I kind of said, Hey, you know what? Here's an opportunity to bring this to light to say, Hey, this is how you should be using your LinkedIn profile. Here's how you connect with people. So I thought that that was really critical. And then the other part of that was I started bringing in guest speakers who are in these career fields that students are wanting to be in data analysts, financial advisors, accountants, marketing, every single people in sales and all those people and brought them in with students to give them the opportunity to interact with them, then add them on LinkedIn and connect with them and have some more conversations outside of that. I would say that those were some really valuable ways in which students kind of grew and developed and why LinkedIn played such a huge part in that because it bridged the gap between the two and allowed students to kind of see, okay, hey, now I'm connected with people in these fields. Who are they connected to that I might be able to connect with? So that has been really... That was really critical, helping my students kind of see that. Jordan, as you know, most Time for Coffee listeners are students, similar to the ones that you Mm -hmm. used to coach at Purdue. What would you like to share with them about how they should approach the job search process? Yes. And this is something that I've been preaching. Andrew preaches it as well. And a lot of recruiters and people in just the hiring space in general, career coaches as well, spend more time getting to know people versus going out and filling out those applications left and right. You are going to... It may sound like you're not going to make a lot of progress or you're going to miss out on something if you don't apply for it. But I love when somebody comes into my office and says, Hey, I've got a referral for you. This person is somebody I've known for 5, 10 years, whatever it is, maybe just a couple of years. I've learned so much about them. Here's what I can tell you about them. Here's why I think they would be a great candidate. Awesome. Let me call them right now and see if we can set something up. I've learned so much more about that candidate already before I've even seen a resume from them. And I know that they're a qualified candidate because they came to me from somebody who knows this career and knows this field 
very, very well. They're only going to pick people who they know are qualified. Spend more time on that and getting to know the people inside the company versus going out there and trying to apply for anything that catches your eye. If you are just going out there and applying to everything, you're going to find that you are going to either burn out very quickly because the company may not align with what you want in a company or what you want in a day-to-day. And it's also more or less trying to find a job versus trying to find a career. And I want every college student to really think about how do I find a career versus how do I find a job? Because they are significantly different. What is the distinction? A job is something that you're going to be in short term that you don't really see yourself doing beyond a couple of years. When I'm looking for a financial advisor, what I'm looking for is somebody who wants to make this their career. When you are that, you are fully bought into it. Also, anybody who is in their fifth year, after their fifth year of being a financial advisor at Northwestern Mutual, you're 94% likely to retire with the company. It's got an amazing track record and that I want everybody to see that long term. I don't want somebody to come in for a year or a couple of years and decide, Hey, you know what? This really isn't for me. And they're not really bought into what we have at NM. They're not really bought into the culture or anything like that. They just want something to pay the bills. Everybody's got bills they need to be paid. I respect that. I've got it myself. But I want you to find something that you'd be happy with. And a job is just might be a stepping stone, which is okay. But I want you to think career. I don't want you to think short term. And that can be hard as a college student because you're thinking about, I need to get something so I can start making more money. I need to get something right away. Find your fit and find your career and find the company that fits all the stuff that you align with. And I guarantee you, you'll be happier. You'll make more money over time and you'll be in something that you're really happy in versus a job where you can be happy in it, but most likely you might be job searching within the next year or so. With that in mind, I'd like to flash back, Jordan, to when you were an undergrad at Ball State and you've already said you were a history major. Yep. And you thought you were going to become a history teacher. You graduated in 2015. What did you do with that degree when you graduated? What was your first job and how did you get it? When I was at Ball State, I loved history. I still do to this very day. If somebody came up to me and said, Hey, we'd like to have you teach an adjunct class at a university. I'd be all about it. I'd love it. But what I was doing at Ball State is I was very involved outside of the classroom. And I'm a firm believer that you grow and develop more outside the classroom than you do inside the classroom. And that college students should not just be going to college to get an inside the classroom experience with great professors and great programs, but more or less those outside the classroom activities, your social organizations, your business fraternities and sororities that are out there, the things that you're passionate about in life that stem beyond the classroom. That's where I spent a lot of my time. I was involved, highly involved in at least seven different student organizations while I was at Ball State. And I was like, man, I really love this. And my biggest mentors were the people who were our director of student life or our people who were in our office of admissions. And I finally went up to him one day and I said, how did you all get started in what you're doing right now? How do I do what you're doing? Because I love the outside of classroom experience and I love being at college. I just love to work with one and work with students who are just like me. And they said, well, there's this great program out there, higher education and student affairs. I was like, well, 
maybe I'm going to get a little bit of experience before I hop into that. I started out, I had a connection and a referral that got me into a position at Ball State where I worked with low-income first-generation students and doing the academic advising for them. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I was like, I, okay, this is what I want to do. So I was like, you know what? I have a history degree. I didn't use it. I kind of wanted to do more on the outside of the classroom versus the inside the classroom stuff. Loved it. Got into a grad program. And then kind of just everything just took off from there. If I had any advice for students, it would be trying to figure out as many different ways that you can be involved outside the classroom. And I'm not just talking about a job. I'm talking about student organizations, clubs, events that are happening on campus and really start to get to know people. If I could tell myself one thing, I would be like, man, I didn't really see the value in networking until after I graduated. Then I was like, okay, now I see it. Now I see it unfolding. I wish I would have spent more time getting to know people who had what I wanted and who had a job that I was like, well, this seems pretty cool. I'd love to learn more and see who they're connected with. Well, I love that story because that's exactly what you did. You had a networking conversation with someone in Mm -hmm. student advising and ask them for their insights as to how you could break into the industry, which is that was the the first step for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you have gotten two graduate degrees in the relatively short time since you finished at Ball State. You got one in educational leadership at Western Mm -hmm. Michigan and the other, you got an MBA at Purdue University Global through their virtual program. Did you have to pay for those degrees because you were employed at both universities at that time? Great question. I did not have to pay at all. I was uh, part of my... I always told myself and through the advice that I got from peers and mentors, Hey, if you're going to do anything outside of undergrad, make sure that it's paid for. Do everything in your power to get it paid for. I went out of state at Western Michigan. And I was a little worried. I'm like, well, out of state tuition is a little more pricey. They still covered it. And they provided a stipend for me while I was working there at the university. And then while I was at PNW, there was an opportunity as an employee incentive to get program completely paid for anywhere from associates all the way up to a master's degree. Certificates were included in that as well. So I was like, this is just a missed opportunity if I don't capitalize on this. And totally so I did. And very thankful for, for both of those. But yeah, I was like, if I'm going to do more schooling, I want to make sure that it's paid for. It's definitely out there. A lot of people think like, hey, I, I, I want to go to school more, but I don't want to have to pay more. There's a lot of different ways in which you can get all that covered. That's not just scholarships or anything like that. So what are they? They are... We call them tuition assistantships. When I worked as an assistant for these different offices, they fully covered my tuition. And they also gave me a stipend on top of that. It was a way for them to have somebody that wasn't full-time with the office to pay them. They just had to focus on paying my tuition and then paying me part-time. It saved them money. I was able to work 20, 25 hours in that office to provide some support for them. It's a very, very common thing in different universities. It wasn't just that department on campus. I could think of 15 different offices on that campus alone that were providing those graduate assistantships for students. And how can students find those opportunities? Do they just type in the name of the school and then graduate assistance programs? Yeah. 
they can do it a couple of different ways. They, I would highly recommend reaching out to anybody that is a graduate program director or coordinator. You can also go online and learn more about the programs and see what else is out there. They will typically... One of the first things that they'll say is that we do provide tuition assistance and full-time or part-time opportunities, reimbursement and all of that. So I highly recommend going on the website, connecting with somebody who's graduate programs at that university because they're going to know everything about them and what can be offered and who's offering what. That would be a great place to start. And then also just connecting with people who might be program coordinators for those graduate programs that you're really interested in. Wonderful advice. Jordan, I have two final T4C questions I try to ask all of my guests. The first one is, if you could share a time in your professional life when you struggled, maybe you failed, maybe you face planted. The important thing is how you persevered. And if there was a lesson that you learned in the process. Yes. I would say the first one that comes to mind was when I was a graduate student. I was my first time I was working at Western Michigan and I was working in student organizations and student life, but I was specifically involved in the fraternity and sorority life side of things. And I was in a fraternity myself. I love my experience. I would contribute who I am today a lot to what I learned in that time. So I was like, Oh, yeah, I would love to work in that space again. I learned very quickly that it was not where I wanted to be. I was working after hours, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night with student meetings and things like that. And I was also learning that I wasn't very good at delegating things. I felt like I had to do everything. And I didn't... I knew and I felt that if I did it, I knew that it was going to be done right in, in the way that I wanted it to be done. And I didn't give a lot of responsibility to my students and say, Hey, this is your event. This is your experience. You go do what you want. You make it what you want. It came back on me. My supervisor was like, Hey, you know what, Jordan? Like, these are some of the things that we're hearing from students and they're kind of losing a little bit of trust in you. And like, they're kind of hesitant to, to reach out to you about these kinds of things because you seem to be so much in control. So I learned very quickly, like if the proverb is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If I can't remember the exact proverb, but it's... if, if Yeah. You're... No, I know that. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far... <laughs> that's the one. Go together or something yes. like that. Yes, that's exactly It's an African it proverb. Yes. And so it sounds cliche, but I was like, I really learned that that's just how it is. You can't do everything by yourself. You need to rely on other people. If you think that you're doing everything yourself so that you're saving other people time, you're also diminishing their growth and opportunities for them to experience and do new things and really take on things that they may not have envisioned doing before. It's going to help them grow so much. And I learned that pretty quickly. And I was like, you know, I've got to learn to delegate. I've got to learn to be better in, in my communication with people as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Final question. If you could go back to Ball State and do it all over again. But based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself, Jordan? Oh, I would say go out and meet as many people who are different from you. Don't try to... It's very easy for us to kind of either put ourselves in a box of people that we associate with that think very similar to us. I would say the best thing about my experience in college was that I learned so much from people who are so different than me. 
people who had so many different backgrounds, people who had so many different lifestyles that I was not used to. I came from a very small rural town and I ended up going in being at a college where I was exposed to people from completely different walks of life. And I loved that. They challenged me. I learned so many different ways to view things. So I would say, seek out those people that are different than you versus trying to seek out those people who are similar to you. You will only grow when you are exposed to new people, new ideas, new ways of thinking. And the relationships that you will build with those people, you might think will be really hard because they're different than you. I promise you, they are much easier than you think. And you will really thank yourself more for having exposed yourself to people who think and operate and act differently than you. And that is going to be a trajectory into your career when you are going to be surrounded by people who think, act, and do things differently than you. You have to learn how to work with those people. And a great way to get started in doing that is while you're in college. Fantastic advice. Jordan, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. This was wonderful. And the only parting words that I have for you are, I'm cutting you off, my friend. <laughs> no more caffeine today. I'm a talker. Well, that's the caffeine in me. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.